Hello, hello, my let's keep it real people. What a week. I have been so blown away about the people that have been coming in my life that are just such incredible humans. I mean, the things they've overcome in their life, what they want to do for others, mind blowing. I could be just standing in the coffee shop and I'm going to run into somebody and they'll start telling me their story. And I'm like, whoa, can I just hug you? I mean, that's in addition to me meeting the most incredible people on Let's Keep It Real podcast. I mean, I know I tell you I love everybody, but this next guest blows me the freak away. Blows me away. Listen to just one of his taglines. Matthew has successfully recovered from schizophrenia and has bicycled across Canada. And I don't want to tell you too much about what he's doing, but he has this platform he formed called MindAid. And it's all about helping people with mental illness, especially in developing countries, so they can get access to basic mental health care. Talk about giving back. I just loved my time with him. I know you are going to be inspired and want to share it, like it, and rate it. You know how much that means to us. It really does make a huge difference. And with much gratitude, I really appreciate all my listeners for all they do, the support and their kindness throughout the years. I'm so beyond lucky. Have fun. Toodles. This is Let's Keep It Real with Sandy Joy Weston, your weekly dose of positivity with awesome stories and guests from all over the world. It's an opportunity to learn some great new things and expand your mind. We'll tackle topics from all areas of life, and as always with Sandy, the sky's the limit. Hello, hello, my Let's Keep It Real people. This has been such a great month. I've been very fortunate in what you requested for me to bring on with topics and guests I've been delivering. So this one is a huge topic that you guys have said you wanted to hear more about hopefulness. They said, I'm going to say hopefulness and ideas to help with the mental health issues. And they've been all over the place from minor to major. So. My next guest, hopefully, I not even hopefully, I know Matthew will point us in the right direction, but let me tell you a little bit about him first. Matthew Dixon helps people with mental illness in developing countries so they can get access to basic mental health care at www.mindaid.ca. MindAid steers people towards seven nonprofits using their models of basic mental health care, which are low cost proven effective and scalable. Matthew, this is just a scratch on the surface of what you've done, as well as I love the fact that your highlights of Matthew inspirational story include bicycling across Canada and successfully recovering from schizophrenia. Like those were just the (laughs) throw-ins. Welcome. I'm so happy to have you here, Matthew. Oh, thanks for having me on, Sandy. This is great. Thanks. Yeah. All right. So before we get into it, one word, I asked my guests to pick one word to best describe your past 30 days 
what would the word be and why? And if you want to go out longer, you can go out longer. <laughs> I'll probably say transition. Okay. Transition. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, uh, I'm really turning over a new leaf and just, uh, levels of joy, happiness, peace, contentment. It's, uh, I wouldn't say the last 30 days, but, um, could be the last 30 days or longer, but yeah, it's, uh, I'm really just feeling good these days after a long battle of schizophrenia for decades. So it's, uh, yeah. So let's just dive right into it. A lot of people before you came on, I send out what the topic is, and I got a slew of questions, a lot of them about your journey. And so I want to dive into that first, and then we'll talk about what you're doing in the other countries. So I think for many of us, let's just back up a second and explain what schizophrenia is, because I know I don't like to assume people know. I know they know it's a mental health condition. But I would rather you explain what schizophrenia is. Yeah, so I'm I'm not an official uh, schizophrenia expert. <laughs> no, <laughs> if that, even, if that even exists, <laughs> I, I've got my own experience and things I've read. So uh, one of the myths is that well, it's not really a myth, but some people with schizophrenia don't hallucinate. Twenty five percent of people with the disease don't, and I was in that twenty five percent. Okay. So, yeah, so that did make my life easier. And the 75% of people that do hallucinate, those can be any of the five senses. And for the most part, I would say they're relentlessly tormenting. Other people, though, they can sometimes have beautiful, pleasurable uh, hallucinations. So it's, uh, yeah, it's it's also got disorganized thinking as a symptom, a lack of motivation. And for me, I like my thoughts, it was... uh, it's it's like trying to uh, it's like trying to shout into a hurricane. There is another small part of your own thoughts, your own self talk that's ticking along just fine. Other people with schizophrenia say this. They think thoughts through the day, like, well, you know, I guess it's time to get up. Should I have a coffee? Should I go for a walk? Yeah. Um, should I go back to school? You know, big thoughts like that. And it's so part of your brain is working fine, but it's like shouting into a hurricane, just a deafening roar of just of just uh, uh, thoughts, just it's like your thoughts are going a million miles a minute. And so I never, for me, I never thought that, uh, I, I, it was like uh, I was being bombarded by visual and audio stimuli. I didn't see anything or hear anything that wasn't there, but it was just a feeling, a feeling okay. of just too much going on. And I know adrenaline junkies, uh, they have high levels of dopamine, I believe. Mm-hmm. So that they can handle a lot of things going on at the same time. Yeah. And I believe that it felt like my dopamine levels were, were non-existent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just way too much going on, even just sitting in a quiet room doing nothing. So, yeah. So I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like it, it's like your were your thoughts spinning out of control, like just constant. Yeah. Yeah. So I got on a medication and, I improved every single week over 27 years. So I did have a slow, steady progression out of it. Uh, oh. Glacially, yeah, glacially slow, you could say. It took a long time for, and very small, tiny improvements each week. But I did improve. So that went from just spinning, spinning out of control thoughts just all over the place mm-hmm. to just slowly, week by week, year by year, 
decade by decade yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting getting better so it's uh yeah lack of motivation was one i've read that people with schizophrenia have difficulty self-directing let alone other directing and that's the way i felt i really wish that somebody would take me under their wing and just protect me guide me uh help me along the way and i really yeah. felt like i was just sort of thrown out into the world uh good luck matthew uh, do it on your own sort of thing. And I won't say that. There are lots of people who help me in various yeah, ways. I know. But, I know. That's yeah. just how you felt. Yeah. 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 So and, go ahead. Yeah. So um, I heard a lady on uh, the, uh, CBC radio in Canada here where I live. And uh, they said she worked with mentally ill people. She said, you have to take them and say, now we're going to do this. And you do an activity. And then you say, now we're going to do this. Then you do another activity. And that's the way I felt. It was hard to direct myself for a long period of time. I could do stuff. You didn't have to totally micromanage me, but just keep pointing me in a direction. Mm -hmm. Like, what do I do now? For example, I could work um, in my own time. I could do what I wanted, but I mean, in my own time, if I had somebody to guide me along the way, like, let's do this, or let's do this, Matthew. <clears throat> and I did have some people throughout the years who were good at that. Like, uh, come on, Matthew, let's go do this and everything. I'm like, great. Someone who's telling me what to do here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Point me in the direction. <laughs> All right. So, Matthew, let's just peel that back a little bit more because we did get a lot of questions. And so there are a lot of people that either their family members or they themselves feel like they're battling schizophrenia. And what they want to know is, okay, there you were. Let, we'll go back into the bicycle thing, but there you are at 22, what made that diagnosis, okay, this is schizophrenia versus another mental health illness? You know, what what was the difference between that and I don't even want to just say bipolar because the ones you hear about right now are, you know, bipolar, depression, schizophrenia. Yeah. They uh, can sometimes not tell you what's going on. That's actually a thing they talk about in hospitals, no matter what you've got. They don't want to burden you with all this stuff, so they don't tell you what's going on. And they say, and you can understand why they do that. Yeah. For the patient, it just adds sort of more unknown. So psychiatry is also the only profession where they don't actually look at the part of the body they're treating. They don't scan your brain. Some people do. Dr. Daniel Amen in the States does and, and helps with the diagnosis. Yeah. For me, yeah. For me, they asked me questions. I answered them. So they went by what I was saying mm. and how I looked. Um, yeah. It's, that's all they sort of have to go on for a diagnosis. So uh, from my from my experience, I, they, yeah, they, they yeah. weren't poking and prodding me a whole lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was, they did initially give me a schizoaffective disorder, which is a combination of schizophrenia and bipolar, but yeah. that just lasted a few weeks and then they arrived on the final diagnosis of schizophrenia. So it's, uh, I said I was looking at, at another symptom is it, it felt like I was looking at things uh, like on TV. I didn't feel connected. I felt disconnected from yeah. what I was seeing in front of me. So uh, I, that's about really all I know. They, they tried me on six or seven of the 1960s antipsychotics. Mm -hmm. This was 1994 and none of them worked. They tried me on one drug that came out that year. It worked. So I stayed on it and I'm still on it today. So I, yeah. I hear other people who go through a number of different diagnoses, diagnoses mm -hmm. that can actually be sound quite different from each other. I maybe I was just lucky in getting a good good diagnosis yeah. from the start. I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, Do, and I don't know if you can answer this next question, but it was a question that I got for you: Is 
And I've had people go back and forth on this as far as being a chemical imbalance and that other people said, well, that's never been proven. Has anyone ever said that about your diagnosis? So I've read a number of different things and theories of schizophrenia and I, I'm not an expert. I really don't know which one is which, but uh, I do know that if I, and and you could argue this is a placebo effect, but when I did miss uh, a pill, my medication uh, Mm -hmm. one night, I'd I'd forget it about once a year. And in the first few years or so, uh, maybe first five or six, seven years, I would feel it the next day. I could feel it just in my head uh, difference. And like I said, you could argue that's just a placebo effect, but for me, yeah, but for me, I'm like, no, I, I don't want to. I, I've never missed it twice, uh, yeah. two, night, two nights in a row. So if I miss it now, I don't feel it the next day. But uh, yeah, I. It really helps. Yeah. Well, yeah. it sounds that you feel very fortunate that you were put in the right direction and were able to get a diagnosis and on the right path. Yeah, they labeled me as early intervention, but I did have some symptoms creeping up through university, but they were fairly mild compared to what was going to come down the tubes. I mean, I was getting mostly A's in engineering. I biked across Canada. I was on the university rowing team. I did a triathlon. I was living on my own, paying my own way through university. Yeah. But I just didn't feel right in certain ways. And mm-hmm. uh, But uh, so, but when, when I got sick, I thought, oh my gosh, why didn't I get help sooner? But if you look back on it, I don't know if they'd have, given yeah. me help sooner if I could do all that stuff and be okay. Yeah. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. But I did know that taking my medication was one of the few things I could actually do to get myself better. And when you're feeling so helpless and so utterly useless, uh, there's nothing can, it feels like there's so much, so little you can do to get yourself better. You want to snap your fingers and say, yeah. fix me now, now, fix me now. You're just looking at your clock all day long. Oh my gosh, it's a long day to get through and another day like that. It's, yeah. uh, it, it, it just uh, it felt like there's very little I could do to stop the pain. And uh, as much as I didn't want to have to take a medication, I just biked across Canada. I was on the top of the world and then have to be given a disease. And then I felt like I was ball and chain to this medication. But at the same mm-hmm. time, I knew like that was one of the few things I could do to get better. So I was like, get that drug into me. So <laughs> I, I hear you. <laughs> and I, I understand. I, I talked to a lot of people that they want it to be the last resort and you don't want it to be, you know, people say, I don't want it to be just a quick fix, but so many times it's so helpful for you able to get more help and to deal with life and reality. I hear it all the time, the right medication with the right therapist and counseling. So I'm really happy for you. I really am. But I want to back up because you just mentioned the bike trip. So in the thick of things, here you are in the university, and then you mentioned that you biked across Canada. Now, were you still in school or had already graduated? And why? No. <laughs> and I have so many questions. I was still in school. I So in my second year, my parents had clipped out an article from the newspaper about this group that bikes across Canada each year. It's called Tour to Canada, and you could sign up for it. So anyway, I looked at the article and thought, oh, that's neat. They were always clipping me articles out of the newspaper about neat things. Anyway, I tucked it away in my drawer. A year later, I was going through my drawer and saw the article again. 
And I was just in a different headspace. I wasn't really enjoying engineering, I, I, but I didn't really know what else to do. I, so I, was, I decided to finish my degree because it was a good degree to, to have, but, yeah. but I, I didn't really know what else to do. I was sort of directionless as far as careers go and, and education and what I should do with my life. Even though I was a straight A student, I could have done lots of things. I didn't feel pulled in any one direction. Mm-hmm. And Anyway, I, I was reading this article again, and there was a phone number at the end to phone for more information. And within minutes, I found myself on the phone, phoning this number, asking for more information. I'm like, Matthew, you don't usually do stuff like this. What's going yeah. on here? <laughs> yeah, that's big. I, yeah, I, I wasn't in I mean, I did some sports, but, you know, just very, you know, I played some golf, went for some runs and bike rides. I wasn't really, I never trained for anything like that. But uh it just uh, just really called me to, I just really wanted to do it just out of nowhere. Whereas a year before, I wasn't even thinking about doing it. Yeah. And anyway, so I signed up for the trip, put some money down and uh, yeah, I do the training. One of the things I try to tell people is it's so much easier than you think. Tour de France, that takes a long time to train for and it's a lot of hard work. Biking across Canada, uh, they recommend April, May and June to train and mm-hmm. then uh, June, uh, July and August, you do the trip. Some people don't even train. A guy on my trip, he just hopped on his bike and showed up and did the whole trip. Didn't do an inch of training. Okay. Was <laughs> slower than everybody else? I mean, like... he, he, he was slower, but after a month uh, in Ontario, he was flying with the rest of us. So, yeah, and we weren't, and none of us were flying, really. I mean, the average Tour de France winner does 40 kilometers an hour. I was doing about 20 kilometers an hour. It's just a matter of sitting in the seat for a long period of time, just slow and steady. And yeah, it's daunting. I get it. It was daunting to do that. I was thinking, Matthew, oh my gosh, I was sitting in Vancouver and started my bike and someone said, well, it's time to go. So I like got on my bike and started pedaling. I took one pedal stroke and I thought, oh my gosh, I've gone like three feet. I've got all the way to Newfoundland to go. This is insane. How are you going to do this? That one pedal stroke felt so small and insignificant, so yeah. small and insignificant. I don't remember the second or third or any of the any of the other millions of pedal strokes I took. The person who wrote the story, A Journey of a Thousand Miles, begins with a single step. He he did that. He he knows. <laughs> okay, so here you are with a group of peeps and going across Canada. Did you develop? strong relationships and bonds with those people afterwards because you're with them for what two months yeah so we were all random none of us knew each other from a hole in the wall to start out and then all of a sudden we're together on this i've heard buzz aldrin and neil uh uh the astronaut there they weren't actually like close friends they don't really talk to they never really talked to each other much throughout their life they said it was more of a job but to do this so we did we broke out into groups uh there were a number of French people on the trip. The rest were mostly English. And that sort of broke people up into cliques of like uh, who rode with who just by language. Also age and sex. Um, people like in their 20s bike together more. People in their 30s and 40s bike together more. People in their 50s, 60s, 70s bike together more. Personalities, different yeah. personalities. We all broke up into groups of like two, three, four, five people who there were 46 of us on the trip. And we just sort of, if you, if you were driving along the highway that day and, and some of us left early in the morning, like 
eight, seven, eight o'clock. Others left like nine o'clock. So we were spread along the highway, like, you know, 46 yeah. bikers in groups of two, three, four, five along the highway, probably frustrated some truckers. Yeah, uh, I'm sure you did. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there, there are some altercations, but for the most part, it's fine. It's, uh, yeah. 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 Okay, well, that sounds like an amazing time and a wonderful experience, one that I think many people would enjoy. I really do. I know a lot of people that would enjoy something like that, and they would remember it their entire life. But then you mentioned you came home, and that's when you got hit hard, when you were like 22. So you had already graduated at that point, correct? Almost. I was in my last term of my last year, my fifth year of engineering. And Oh, Okay. Yeah, I was, it was February, I think February, January, February, and I started to have suicidal thoughts. And I thought, Matthew, that's not good. You got to get that checked out. So I went to the university health clinic. They took me up to the local psych ward in the hospital. And within a matter of weeks, I don't know why it happens like this. At least it, this is how it happened for me. But I went from muddling through life a bit, still able to do most things or everything really. Mm -hmm. to just flat on my back, incapacitated, not knowing whether I was going to live or die from one moment to the next. Couldn't do anything, just curled up in a ball. And it took me, you could say like a, a fern unfolding. It took me 27 years to unfold. My God. So let's take those years back. Were you able to graduate then? Did you get through? Yeah. So I was in the hospital. I had to fail out of those, my last term, those courses I was taking. That was yeah. hard to have a straight A student say, sorry, I got to fail out of university. Yeah. Um, yeah. But whatever, lots of people do that. It's not the end of the world. But it was, for me, it was a blow to me because I never had much tragedy to, tragedy to deal with in my life before. So anyway, I was in the hospital six or seven times that year. And then the next year, I was in a group home for three years. When I was in the group home, I went and took one course a term for the, those three years to finish off those last yeah six courses or so. So I graduated while I was living in a group home. And uh, I can tell you when I got my degree, I, I just had a big, after I lost, wrote my last exam, I had a big Cheshire cat grin on my face the whole way home. <laughs> I'm sure you did. I mean, what an accomplishment, right? Yeah. In a long road. All right. So then what? Because now I know we got these, all these years. Did you ever go into engineering? No, I got my degree. I finished those six courses, but I was able to, to do those. I didn't know if I'd be able to. I, I did. I pulled it off. But I, was, I, I didn't have the strength to be an engineer. I didn't want to be phoning pulp and paper plants saying, don't put that pollution out into the atmosphere or all those sorts of high-level things. Uh, that was actually a fear of mine from the start of engineering. Was I don't think I could be. I was taking engineering thing. I don't think I could even do this. Scared to like build like a state. I was taking civil engineering. So we were building, I would have built like roads and highways and bridges and in big infrastructure for people. And I thought, well, what if it collapses? I don't want that kind of responsibility. So that's one of the reasons I was, I didn't really want to continue on with it. I just got it to do something. But when I was sick with schizophrenia, I couldn't handle the pressure of just simply phoning somebody and just dealing with all that. I just didn't yeah. want that. So yeah. I did data entry and filing, which I don't really enjoy oh. much for many, many years, but it was one of the few things I thought I might actually be able to do. So I kind of sucked it up and said, well, it's going to be rough for a while. Let's, uh, let's do this. So, but uh, now that I'm feeling better, I, I've wanted to bike across Canada again 
I think about it a lot. I've thought about it for years and I keep trying to maybe do it again. This time, if I did it, it would be a fundraiser for, for what I work on with mental health. Yeah. So it's, uh, but I, I, I love being outdoors, love traveling. Love, I just love going places, being out in nature. I'm not a huge city person. I like going in, but after a while, I'm like, well, where's my mountains and rivers and streams? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So when, so now let's talk about this big passion, which is what brought you here. When did you get inspired to start MindAid? Well, I'll tell you, when I was in my worst year in 94, a lady saw me walking down the street. and She said, Matthew, you look like you're walking through a world of flying glass. And I was like, yeah, thanks for acknowledging that. Thanks for seeing that because that's exactly how it feels. I was never paranoid. I know paranoid schizophrenia is a thing. I was never classified as paranoid, but it felt, it felt like there was this danger around or terror. Maybe I had, I had depression and anxiety too. So maybe it was anxiety, but it was just a feeling of danger, fear, pushed me way beyond my comfort zone. It literally felt like I was walking on a tightrope over shark infested waters, being thrown out into the ocean circle by sharks. It's terrifying. So, uh, I mean, to walk five minutes down the road, I, I didn't know if I could even do that. And so feeling that way in Canada with an okay mental health care system needs work, like every, every mental health care system around yeah. the world, yes. my heart, yeah, my heart went up to people with mental illness in developing countries with extreme poverty, war-torn countries who have, I mean, I was getting treated mental illness. Other people in other countries have untreated mental illness for years. Yeah. And I was oh, like, yeah. how do they, how do they do that? My heart went out to them. So I don't know why I never went looking for content online for mental health in developing countries. I never did. I don't know why. Uh, it was never thrown in front of me until 2017 and a TED talk by Vikram Patel that was, it was, he was, uh, he created these models of basic mental health care back in the nineties. And so I started researching the cause and I ended up making my website and uh, yeah. So wait, what year was that? The, the year I made the website. Yeah. 2018. 2018. And now what's this response um, that you're getting from around the world? Can you track how many people are going on it and everything? Are you seeing the activity? Yeah, it still gets low numbers uh, for now. I'm hoping that it will get more traction as time goes on. People are paying more attention to it. And that's, I'm very happy about that. It's the world's first website, as far as I know, with all the groups helping people with mental illness and developing countries on one site. They're otherwise scattered across the web. And it's a simple, I mean, basically it's a simple curation site, but mm. if you wanted to go and help someone in Uganda or other places in the world uh, with mental health, where would you go? Well, it, it would take you a while to find the groups helping and choose which one you'd want to donate to. There are groups. So anyway, I'm, I'm proud of that, that I've got this yeah. uh, site. So it's people are starting to pay more attention and people with more clout are starting to say, to say, Matthew, this is really good. That's how that's we want to. Uh, I'm trying to get more. I am getting more media appearances and whatnot. So people are reaching out to me and, and are interested in this. So I'm excited about that. <laughs> I'm excited for you. So 
every day then, as far as like, I know you were saying that it steers people towards seven nonprofits using these models of basic mental health care. Is it every day that you have to be aware of what the new developments are, or do you have to keep up on what's going on? And I mean, there's so many different countries. Like, how do you know what's going on in every single country? Yeah. So I started, uh, I found those seven to start with, and I keep finding more as time goes on. And uh, for the most part, though, it's a vastly under-resourced cause and it needs so much more help. I would love as the years go on where my website, it becomes more and more comprehensive with a list of countries and groups by country. Right now, there are many countries, I don't have any groups for that I haven't found. I could do a better job of this um, by digging deeper. I, I, it's not right now, it doesn't have all the groups helping. It has as many as I can find. And as time goes on and I keep finding more, I add them to the site. So it's, uh, it's definitely a good, a really good start. And, and no one else has done this. No one's gotten as, as far as I have so far. So. I've never heard of something like this. I was so intrigued by it and so excited. There is um, a lot of people, I don't even know if you would know this answer. They said, well, what about the people in their U.S.? Is there a site for them to go to that you know of? So the U.S. has all their mental health programming that we can find in in the U.S. One of the groups that helps women with depression in Africa, one of the nonprofits I steer people towards, their their name is Strong Minds. And they, yeah, they've started. I like that. (laughs) Yeah, they've started uh, Strong Minds America. These models of basic mental health care are low cost, proven effective and scalable. And the World Health Organization is trying to figure out the best way to roll them out to the masses. They found that using these models of basic mental health care in developed countries like America, they're working. And Strong Minds America, you can see it on the Strong Minds website. And you can see mm. where the work they're doing. Because there's a man from Harvard, his name's Shekhar Saxena. He spoke at the UN and he said every country when it comes to mental health care is a developing country. Ooh. That said, I'd still like to be in North America for mental health care than some places in Africa, for example. Yeah, I, I but, agree. Yeah. But generally, what he's saying is we're all classified as a mental health care system. So, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. And I feel, I mean, I know it's a slow process, but I do feel some of the stigma going away. How do you feel oh. about that? Oh, well, take it back to the 90s when I got diagnosed with schizophrenia. I, I'd have three levels of uh, uh, trying to intervene, trying to put that into a conversation. I wouldn't mention that to people in the grocery store that I just met. I wouldn't talk yeah. about the word mental health. If I knew some after a while, like say at work, for example, I would throw out the, the trial of uh, mental health in a conversation and see how that went. And then <laughs> if that went okay, I might try depression, sneak that in after that. Okay, how are they going to respond to that? Are they going to think I'm crazy and yeah. should be locked up? And then if that went okay, I, after a while, I would throw out schizophrenia. I'd let, let, let that bomb settle. <laughs> <laughs> but for the most part, I found people were fine. Uh, one yeah. of the stats I'm trying to find out is how many people today think people with schizophrenia are violent? Is it mm. 1%, 50%, 30%, 70%? I don't know. I'm, I'm And I'm working with some uh, organizations to see to see if we can put a survey out to find that stat out. Right now, uh, people with schizophrenia are 
are uh, no, more, no more prone to violence than the rest of the general population. The general population, 2%, is violent. And that's not, that doesn't mean they're murderers. Uh, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, it could be kicking, biting, scratching, psychological violence. There's a lot of different ways to be violent. Yeah. And uh, the British Columbia Schizophrenia Society says that people with untreated schizophrenia can be a bit more violent than the general population. And I'm trying to find out what that number is. Is it uh, 3%, 5%, 10%? I don't know. But generally, for the most part, we're not, we're not, we're not violent. We're calm and peace loving. And, but yeah, I definitely feel things changing. It's, it's yeah. COVID was great for getting just really getting everything out there. <laughs> And I really appreciate you sharing your story. And I love the fact that you're saying, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. I can only tell you my experience with it, which is huge because you have gone through it. So I'm sure you impact and help so many people, not just with your website, but also telling your story. Yeah, uh, I, I would like to focus more on the mental uh, people with mental illness in developing countries just because it's so under-resourced and there are ways to help them. It's not like we're working in labs trying to figure out how do we, how are we going to help them? We've figured out the ways. We just need to get them out to more people. And, but I will, I, I, I can't just sit here and not talk, not talk about schizophrenia either because it's so under-talked about too. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, I don't think it has to be just one or the other. I think, I, I, I think that, you telling your story does shed light more on your website. I really do. Yeah. And plus it is my story. I'm 51 now. So it's been, uh, you know, an all consuming part of my life for 30 years. Yeah. So I'm not just going to sweep that under the rug. <laughs> Matthew, I'm happy that you have it. Now, before we go though, when I asked you for different tips and you gave me different books are they books that you would highly recommend others to read? I Because I want to make sure we get them in. Yeah. So I've read many, many books. I was a bookworm in the bookstore for 20 plus years reading books on how to get myself better. And there's a handful that I've been telling people over and over again. They're on, um, yeah, they're, they're on my website. I've got a list there of tips, uh, just my best mental health tips. And okay. the books I, I mentioned there, plus many others are on that on that site, on that page. And you mentioned, and I'm I'm reading these notes that when you were just ferociously reading, that you read books or you developed mindset secrets from Navy SEALs and Olympic athletes, or am I just making that up? No, no. There's I mean, people think, well, how can I so there's, there's a self-help section in bookstores. There's the personal development section. There's yeah. the business and career section. A lot of top business people, CEOs, want to learn how to become mentally stronger. Navy SEALs, they've got books. They, they, they've published books you can find in your library for free on how to get stronger mentally. I was reading more business and career books on, on mindset than I was in the self-help section. Yeah, yeah. It's Because uh, I believe like there's, there's parts of your brain with mental illness that don't work right your thoughts are going a mile a minute but there's other there's other thought patterns you have even though you've got mental illness that still are there and present there are still a lot of thoughts going through your head all day long that you can think about thought patterns mindset stuff and 
those are things that you can change. Yes, they won't get rid of your schizophrenia or your depression right away when you when you make that when you get that aha moment with a mindset change when you yeah. learn something. But these are things that you can change to. I, I was reading them. No one ever told me to. It's just uh, that anything to become stronger mentally to reduce stress. You can say reduce stress. Mm. Psychologists say that people who come in to talk to them often talk about the people in their lives, giving them problems more than anything else. A lot of the time, if you can reduce people stress, like one of the books, verbal judo by George Thompson, it teaches you how to deal with police, uh, people like police officers do. It's their training, police officers, uh, uh-huh. how to deal with people with words, not weapons, uh, unbeatable mind. Uh, that's Mark divine. He's got, uh, he's a Navy seal. He gives all, he trains Navy seals. He gives away all his mindset secrets and how to get, how to get Navy seal mindset tough. Olympic athletes, there's all sorts of sports psychology books on how mm. Olympic athletes get to the podium. And they're yeah. there for free or for 20 bucks on Amazon. And like, I can't, <laughs> I can't just sit here and let my mind do its own thing and not read these books. I was, I was desperate for anything. Give yeah. me some way to get me out of this madness. I'll read anything. Sure. Give it to me. <laughs> well, Again, I just want to make sure I got, for you, it was a combination of the diagnosis, getting the right help and treatment, the medicine, as well as developing these techniques that you learn from reading so many amazing books of people that have developed, for lack of a better word, I love this uh, strong mindset. Yeah. So I was never guaranteed to get better. But uh, people who get treatment often can get uh, at least partially better. Yeah. They also, there's an article online called The Seven Myths of Schizophrenia. The head of the uh, Schizophrenia Society of Canada told me about it. Oh. And uh, I can't find it online anymore. But one of them was that people in their 40s or 50s, maybe 60s, later on in life anyway, could the disease can often leave people. Schizophrenia can often leave. I know John Nash, the in the movie A Beautiful Mind with Russell Crowe, in oh, his yeah. life, yeah, in his life, he did get a lot of his intellect back. Not all of it, but uh, he was able to do math again later on in life. So it is. I, I don't know if it's the, if it was me, my body just naturally getting better. But if you don't do things, it, it it just lessens your chances. If you don't get up every morning, try to do something to keep yourself active. If you don't take for me taking medication or going getting going to get counseling spending time with friends and family uh, trying to get some exercise fitness learning how to get your mind stronger with mindset stuff it's it's just it's they're all they're all factors and just everything just increases your chances yeah all right before we go and we tell them how they can find you did you say earlier that you're thinking of doing another bike trip I would love to. I, I think Matthew. I think from Canada. I mean, just a bike trip. <laughs> oh, it, when I see shorter bike trips, I'm like, no, I want to do a long one. <laughs> so I'm torn. It's to put myself in danger again on the side of the highway. Um, that would mean, well, I can't, if I get hurt or killed, how can I help people with mental illness in developing countries or other people with schizophrenia? It's just gone. I'm just yeah. gone. Uh, it would could I could I do things differently to to raise more awareness and more funds in other ways other than a bike trip? I know Rick Hansen who wheelchaired around the world. He isn't still wheelchairing. He's doing other things to raise millions of dollars for the cause. Yeah. Um, 
but I just have a yearning to be outside uh, traveling. I, especially by bike, I thought of walking across Canada, maybe, I don't know. Bike's awful easy compared to walking. No. <laughs> well, maybe you don't have, I get that you want to do it far distant, but you could do other things and to join others in. That's something to do with the outside. As for me, I am a avid biker, but I'm a mountain biker. I'm scared of the road. I'm scared of cars. I'm like, <laughs> I I know it sounds funny, but I'd rather be on a cliff. <laughs> yeah. Anything to be outside. Although I'm completely opposite of you, Matthew. That sounds like a very long time. I'm like a couple hours in mother nature. I'm good. Yeah, that's all I need. Even for what? me, just going out. Sometimes I will go out and just sit under a tree. It just relaxes me just to be yeah. outside. It yeah. calms down. And everyone says, oh, there she goes. She's talking to the trees again. <laughs> I, I just find it all of a sudden, if I'm tense or anxious, if I just go outside, take a deep breath in, sit under a tree for a couple minutes, I feel totally different. Totally different. Have you read the book, The Hidden Life of Trees? I think that's what it's called, The Hidden Life of Trees or The Secret Life of Trees. No! Yeah, it's a phenomenal book about what the inner workings of trees, how they talk to each other through their root systems, and it's just unbelievable. And uh, they give off chemicals into the oh. air that... Oh, my God. Secret Life of Trees. The Hidden Life of Trees, maybe hidden or secret. It's one of the two. Okay. Yeah. Phenomenal book at all open your eyes to what they do for us. We do have one thing in common. I love dancing. Oh my gosh. When I, I dance, do. I feel like a million bucks. Oh my gosh. Just on top of the world. Uh, I, I'm not super flexible. There's all sorts of dancing I can't do, but when I just put on my favorite tunes and just either. rock out, pardon me. I'm not flexible either. Yeah. So what do you, do you just rock out to anything? You just dance to anything? I, I, any music I, I can dance to. I, I, I wasn't like a great dancer when I was younger, but, but I've learned how to feel the music more and get more yeah. emotionally yeah. attuned to it. And I, I do like a lot of hard rock and stuff, but I like, you know, just mainly pop rock, radio, mainstream music for the most part. That's mostly what I like. So. Yeah. I, grew up with my mom spent most of her life in um, asylums, mental institutions. I don't, I don't know. I think she was diagnosed at one point with schizophrenia, but I really can't be sure. Uh, it was, let's say not well-funded asylums, right? Because we grew up in the project. So she wasn't in the best care. And so as a kid, I had to come up with a system of when we used to visit in those mental institutions to get through it. And my brother, even though he was a little older, he had a tougher time with me than me. So I, I would bring a little boom box and my tap shoes. And I'd wait till everyone was gathering Matthew in the, in the lobby area where they would collect their medicine and now and then, this is, I'm telling you, keep in mind, I started doing this when I was nine. So looking back, it probably wasn't the best idea. I would bring my little scissors and they would have those little medicine cups and they would 
put them on their chairs and I would cut the freaking medicine off and say, you don't need that. Watch me. I'll bring you joy. Oh my God. Oh, oh my God. But thank God they would replace it. (laughs) I would, they would be like, sit, but I would throw on my tap shoes and I would start dancing. And what I could see amongst everyone, at least for those minutes, they were laughing and smiling and having a good old time. They were having a great time, whatever their issues were. And some didn't belong there. Some were misunderstood. Some were poor. Some were misdiagnosed. Some were diagnosed properly, but it was all over the place. And I felt I could see the hope in their eyes. So that's when I realized dance was going to be such a big part of what I would do to deliver joy. You know, I couldn't solve their problems. I couldn't help my mom in so many different ways. But for that little amount of time, when I danced, I brought joy, you know, and to this day, that's why it's a big compassion for me. Every hour I will get up and even for a minute and just dance around to music or no music because it it changes my whole mindset. And that's why I call dance resets. Oh, when you really think about it, you can be in a bad mood. You turn on a song instantly. For me, instantly, my mood improves like a million times. Like I don't that. know how it does it, but it's just like, yeah, let's rock out to this. Woo! <laughs> yeah. And depending on what your mood is, the song, the music, it just changes everything. So that's why for me, it's always been... I can't cure. I don't know the answer, but for those people I can reach or anything with prevention, like, you know how you're so strong in my aid for the third world countries and poverty. I'm in a way on the other side of anything I can do starting in grade school, high school, colleges to do techniques and tools, which you call, I love the strong mindset. I teach techniques and tools to help you know, with the everyday stresses, anxiety, and overwhelm. So when things hit the fan, you know, you already have these skills developed. And I think the main reason I really am so passionate about it, because there are people I love, I couldn't help. You know what I mean? I, yeah. 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 And so the combination of that, you know, is really, to me, so magical to have that end, being able to help the extreme situation, as well as stuff that you do every day. That's why I liked hearing, like you say, it's the medicine. It was the treatment. I love that you dance and that you practice these mindset skills. And I'm a really, really big fan of the Navy SEALs. I even brought them to one of my health clubs to do training. And it was not for the fitness training. I wanted them to do the mental fitness training to my staff. And it was phenomenal. Yeah. And the athletes. So I love that you're combining them. Matthew, we have to go. But I've really, this has been wonderful to have you on. And tell them again how they can find you, support you, and your website, and uh, anything to do with MindAid. Yeah, so mindaid.ca, M-I-N-D-A-I-D.ca. All my links are there, all my social media channels. I'm on YouTube, TikTok, plus a lot of other social media channels. Uh, please go there. There's my uh, best mental health tips. You can see the links there in the about section. And those, uh, I really recommend you 
uh, look through those for any kind of mental, not any kind, but sort of general mental health, plus mm -hmm. other resources for schizophrenia. There's a couple uh, YouTube channel plus some other things that could really help people with schizophrenia, like avatar therapy. And mm. um, yeah, that's another topic. But um, for people with mental illness in developing countries, there's 10 nonprofits there now. It's actually not seven. I found some more. Uh, there's And plus there's other nonprofits in the resources section beyond those initial 10. But they, uh, please feel free to donate to them. They, uh, nonprofits these days will take like $3 a month or $5 a month or $10 a month. Anything would help. And uh, if you don't have money, feel free to share their posts. A lot of them are on social media. I think one of the biggest things you can do is just sharing, just having conversations about mental health in developing countries. It doesn't take long if you meet someone in the grocery store to talk about mental health in developing countries. We all get, we can find goats, throwing wells, building schools for people in developing countries for decades. Just throw in one more thing. Now that we can talk about mental health now, throw in mental health in developing countries. And uh, people say, oh, okay, I get it. People, you can see the lights go on in just like a you know, five, 10 second conversation, 20 seconds. Oh yeah, mental health, never thought about that. Oh, yeah, well, what can I do to help? Well, go to some of these websites and just put, point people in this direction to some of the people doing just who are on the ground getting people based mental health care. So I appreciate yeah. it. Matthew, thank you for coming on the show and thank you for the work you're doing. My let's keep it real people. Come on. You know, you're going to want to share this and like it and rate it. There's so many people that could benefit from this segment and Matthew and I would both appreciate it. And you know what I'm going to say until next time. Toodles. Thanks for listening. Be sure to share and subscribe if you enjoyed the show. And remember, keep spreading the positive.